welcome back. And uh, let me just say, man, I miss you guys. Seriously. I, I can't wait to have you back here. I mean, I am super thankful, by the way, for the skeleton crew, these warriors that are coming out here every week to put on this production and super thankful for them. But it's not enough people in this room. So we're looking forward to all y'all coming back in the room together. Um, so let me just say this as we're about to get into today's message. Um, if you're new to First Baptist Church and you've just tuned in, either from far away or somebody invited you and you don't normally attend with us, first of all, welcome. Super glad that you took the opportunity to do that. I hope it's a blessing. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you learned something. But I do want to kind of give you a disclaimer entering into this Bible study. So we're going to take a few weeks starting today and begin to talk about the times of the end, the rapture of the church and leading into the ultimate second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people are thinking about that. So if you're new, and especially if you're new to Bible study, I understand that what we're going to talk about today, it may be a little shocking, it may be a little overwhelming, I don't know, but please just realize that all I'm going to be doing today is showing you what the Bible says. But for the rest of you, uh, regulars here at First Baptist Church, Bible students, many of you are already aware of a lot of the things that we'll be covering here today and next week, and um, I think you deserve to learn these things. You deserve to have presented to you in context the things that we're going to be looking at together. So this is going to be our subject for the next few weeks, and uh, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun as we look into prophecy in the Bible and where we are at in conjunction with that. I mean, these are some crazy times we're living in, amen? And uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there, a lot of Christian people out there wondering, is this it? Is this the end? Is it all over? Is the world coming to an end? And a lot of people are asking that question, and, and I think that it's fair for us to just take a little time and talk about it. I mean, if we really believe that the Bible is the book of life, it's the only book that God ever gave that describes for us what life is all about. It, it, it tells us everything we possibly need to know about life, and, and it literally is God's user's manual for, for life and for us. It defines everything that happens, and without question, that includes especially prophecy, things prophetically given. So today we're going to spend some time, and we're going to talk about the chronology of the history of man on earth. I mean, we're going to kind of cover a big picture and we're going to start to zero in on where we're at here today. I've given a title to today's message uh, called, Are You Ready for the Rapture? And so the idea is that I want to look at some evidences that the scripture gives for the possibility, keyword possibility, of a 2020 rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Do I have your attention? So with that in mind, I think that it's fair for us to ask this question. Is it even possible to know the time of the end? I mean, Christian people say all the time, look, you can't know when the Lord's going to return. You can't know exactly when the end's going to come. I mean, why bother? I mean, non-Christian people say that too, I guess. I mean, why are you pastors of churches? Why do you always take advantage of these situations and get everybody all worked up over something that never seems to happen? You can't actually even know. And we know that the Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 36 that no man knows the day or the hour. 
okay, that's fine, I get that, but the day and the hour, well, that's, that's pretty specific, isn't it? Um, the Bible also has some other things to say, and that's what I want us to begin with as we enter into this subject. If you just follow along, the verses should pop up. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 11, where it says, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. So the Lord definitely is interested in his children asking him questions about things that are yet to come. And he even says, if you want to know about my works, just command me to tell you. Now, I mean, don't take that too far, obviously. But the idea is the Lord is definitely interested in us coming to him with questions. It's, he, he's a big boy. He can handle that. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 3, very interesting, says this. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So Jesus is speaking to a church, Revelation chapter 3, and he says, look, you need to be, you need to be careful. He said, if you're not going to watch for what's going on in the world, you won't know. And here's what he says. What hour I come upon you? Well, does that mean that the corollary is also true? Is what he's saying basically that if you will watch, you can know? Well, I think there's some things we can know. Listen, it says specifically that not watching means that he'll come upon those people like a thief. They'll be shocked when it happens, right? But what if we do watch? A thief can't sneak up on you if you're watching, right? So what I want us to do is just take a second and pray, ask the Lord for some wisdom, and then uh, we'll get into our outline today. So let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, as we get into this, we, we want to be humble, we want to be responsive, but we want to be bold, and, and we want to do what you say. We want to ask you of things to come. We'd like for you, Lord, to show us what we can know. And so I, I pray that you would not just show us what we can know, but what we need to know. Because at the end of the day, Lord, we need to be prepared. This whole idea that you repeat several times in your word about, or else I'll come like a thief. Well, if we prepare ourselves, well, then we can know what's going on. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be prepared for the time of your coming, whether it be soon or later. So open our eyes, Lord, to the right things. I pray that you would give us wisdom. You tell us if we lack it to ask, and we're asking. We need your wisdom. We need your mind in all of these things. And, and Lord, I, I do specifically want to pray specifically for, for everybody here to pay close attention and to consider their own lives. And, Lord, if there are people who are listening who are not yet sure that they have obtained eternal life, by surrendering their heart and their life to, to you, that maybe this message would be the message that would get their attention and they would recognize, why do I keep putting it off? There may not be much time left. So Lord, use this, I pray, for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at this a few different ways, okay? We're going we're gonna to kind of go at it a few different ways and, and I have here a whiteboard and, and I'm going to draw some things on there and you know, full disclosure, I'm not an artist, but I'm just going to do some simple outlining. I think you'll be able to follow. 
and it'll give you some understanding as we go through this. But the first way that we're going to look at it is we're going to look at God's declaration starting from Adam. And that really comes from Isaiah chapter 46. We've got some places in Isaiah we're starting out. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So the Lord tells us very clearly that he is going to declare the end from the beginning. Keep that in mind. We're going to jump ahead a couple of chapters to Isaiah chapter 48 and verse number 3 where he says, I have declared the former things from the beginning and they went forth out of my mouth and I showed them. I did them suddenly and they came to pass because I knew that thou art obstinate and thy neck is an iron sinew and thy brow brass. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Lest thou should say, mine idol hath done them, and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. In other words, in Isaiah 46, he says, I'm going to tell you about the end from the beginning. In Isaiah 48, he says, I've already done things where I've told you from the beginning and where you're at in this point in history. In Isaiah, he's like, you know a lot of those things have come to pass. I have a good track record. So God is going to show us the end from the beginning. And so where are you going to go if you want to know about the beginning? Well, everybody who's been in the Bible at any period of time knows that in the beginning is how the whole Bible starts. So it goes back to Genesis chapter 1. And so with that, I'm going to come over here and draw a couple of things. And we'll just look at it this way. In Genesis chapter 1, you should know the story, right? Genesis chapter 1 is the story of the creation. And so God created everything in six literal 24-hour days. And uh, when, when he did that, you know, he... Let me just do it like this. Then it says on the seventh day he rested. So we're going to go back to the beginning. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Now, when he created everything, we understand how it all went. He created everything on six literal days, but there's something about that seventh day. There was a break for the seventh day, because at the seventh day, it says that he rested. Now, when we understand some of the words of the Bible, and we're going to look at some of these in just a second, we understand that that rest is also called a Sabbath, a Sabbath of rest. That's literally what it means. A Sabbath means that it's going to be a rest. Now, when we look at these things, you need to understand, God said in Isaiah that he's going to show us the end. That's over here, right? That's the end. From the beginning. So we go back to the beginning so that we can learn some things about the end. And that's going to be really important as we, as we continue on. So, when we look at this, and we see how it all fits together, one of the things that I want you to understand is that we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we end up in 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 8, where a lot of you know it says that a day, uh, with the Lord, a, day is, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. Well, is the Lord trying to teach us something? He says, you want to know about the end? You've got to go back to the beginning. And in, in the beginning, he created everything in six days, 
And, and God tells us that he numbers a thousand years are like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And you say, well, I mean, that's kind of random. Well, not necessarily because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So you can go to Psalms 90 and verse number four and he gives the exact same time comparison where he says a thousand years in thy sight are as yesterday. So clearly the Lord is in the business of letting us know that when he talks about a day, he could also be prophetically using that as a picture of what's going forward. So we go back to our, we go back to our model. He created everything in six 24-hour days, and the seventh day he rested. And the entire history of man is going to be set up in such a way that man is on planet Earth for 6,000 years, and then the last 1,000-year period, that's a day, the millennial day. It's a 1,000-year kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually called the day of the Lord. It's the millennial day. It's God's day. And uh, that's the way he set the thing up. That last day is the time of rest. That's the time that Jesus Christ is ruling from the throne in Jerusalem. In fact, if you want to learn about that millennial day, the greatest chapter in all your Bible to learn about that is Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 20, I'm not going to read it for you, but you can go ahead and look at it yourself. The first seven verses that come through Revelation chapter 20 talk about this 1,000-year period. It keeps using the term 1,000 years for 1,000 years for 1,000 years for 1,000 years. And when you go through there, what you're going to find is that term 1,000 years is referenced six different times because man is going to be on the earth for 6,000 years before the ultimate fulfillment of that thousand years that he's referring to, which is that seventh day. It's that Sabbath day of rest. It's the day of the Lord. And it's a Sabbath of rest because the devil is bound for a thousand years. Amen? Hang on a second. I got a gift this week from my brother Maksud, and he, he sent me this because I'm just missing you guys, so you may not be able to hear it too good. I'm going to put it near my microphone. Amen. Come on, Pat. Preach. Yeah, that's truth right there. Amen. Right on. So, so you maybe didn't hear all that exactly clearly, but, but that's the brother telling us, man. Amen. Come on, Pastor. Preach. That's good stuff right there, man. Amen. So, you know, throughout, I may find myself, you know, you're not here, so I may just keep hitting the button. Well, I got some more good stuff for you. We're not done yet. It's not just because we're going to go back to the beginning. It's not just because the six days become 6,000 years. Uh, there's a lot more to see in the Bible about this subject. Uh, I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 17. This is going to be a picture of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is when he's transfigured on the mountain. And uh, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse number 1. It says this. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So this 
story, okay, so Jesus takes his disciples, there's three of them, and they go up in the mountain and they're praying and they fall asleep. In the meantime, they wake up and they see this picture with Jesus Christ transfigured before them. It says his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. Moses and Elijah are there, two characters that appear again in the book of Revelation at the end of time. And Peter mentions, hey, let's build some tabernacles because it was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is always the time of the Advent, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you say, okay, it says after six days. Oh, well, I mean, come on, let's not stretch it or anything. I mean, it just happened to be in the chronology of Jesus' life after six days. Okay, you figure it any way you want. We're going to compare the parallel story as accounted by Luke in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28 where it says the exact same story, and I'll just read the beginning, where it starts off and it says, And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray, and then it continues the same story with the exact same event. So, I mean, come on now. You know, we're not at church with only the adults in the room. I mean, we've got, you all have your families and you got your kids sitting there with you. Even your kids in elementary school know that, after six and about eight is seven. <laughs> That's what it is. And the context is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The context is the day of the Lord. It's the seventh day. Amen? Amen. Because the number seven is the number of completion. The number seven is the number of perfection. And the number eight in the Bible is the number of a new beginning. It's like starting over. It's like in music. There's only seven notes in music. And when you get to the eighth one, it's the first one, only an octave up, right? And so this Sabbath that God has established is holy. It's special. It's set apart. It's a required time of rest. And so we don't have a lot of time to go through all the scriptures, and this is another Bible study, but I'm going to do something else. So when you look at this, and there's a Sabbath of rest on the 7th, well, the Bible's full of Sabbath rests, right? In the Bible, you have the Sabbath of days. You work six days, and on the seventh day, you rest. It has a Sabbath of weeks. You go seven weeks, and... That's going to be 7 times 7, and, and that's going to be 49. And the very next day after 7 weeks, we have a very special feast, for example, in the springtime. It would be the, the Feast of Pentecost that comes on the 50th day after 7 Sabbaths, 7 weeks. You have months. And there's something special about that 7th month in the Jewish calendar. That would be around September, October, our time. That 7th month in the Jewish calendar is going to set you up such that you're going to have three major feasts going on in that seventh month. You're going to have the Feast of Trumpets, you're going to have the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to have the Day of Atonement. That's the biggest month in the Jewish calendar, and it's on a seven. You're going to have the Sabbath of years. Every seventh year, that Jew is to let the land rest. And the reason why they ended up going into captivity is they refused to let the land rest. God sent them into captivity 70 years because for 490 years they never let the land rest. And God said, I'm going to get my Sabbaths back because God's serious about his Sabbath. Then you're going to have seven years. There's a Sabbath of seven years. And so ultimately seven times seven is 49. And then that 50th year in that Jewish calendar, well, that's the, they call that the Jubilee. 
And when it came to the year of Jubilee, that 50th year, what happens? All the slaves get to go free. Freedom, liberty is, is set free. Everybody's set free on the seven-year Sabbath, the 50th year. And then ultimately you have seven millennia. And that's what we have right here. You see, that Sabbath is a serious deal. You see, the way the Lord counts time, whenever God is counting time, we count by tens. We go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then ten is a one with a zero. We start over again. And then we keep re recycling at ten. God doesn't do that. He recycles at seven. And that's the way he does it. But it's not just that he does the sevens. There's another thing about seven in the Bible when you get into this thing. And so you have a break right here after six, but you're going to have another break right here after four. And that's going to be important because actually anytime God takes a seven and breaks it into two, what you're going to find is it's always going to be broken into four and three, not three and four. It's very interesting. So for example, if you went into the book of Revelation, I'll just give you one example off the top of my head. If you went into the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the seven churches. We know about that. Those seven churches are broken down with four of them in chapter 2, three of them in chapter 3. It's just the way the Lord does things. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the chronology of man, right, from the perspective of Adam way back here, right? But here at this fourth day, it's going to be a special day. We're going to look at it from another perspective. Before we do, I want to show you something. This is really important. So in Genesis chapter 1, going back to the beginning, because that's our perspective, in Genesis chapter 1, as we're coming through the chronology of the days of creation, it says in verse number 20 this, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. What you find is, in Genesis 1.20, is that this is the first mention of the word life in all your Bible. And this first mention of life occurs on the fifth day. You go back and read the verses before and the verses after. The fourth day ended in verse 19, verse 20. The first time life appears, it occurs It appears occurs on day number five. So God has taken the seven and now he's breaking them four. There's a break, there's something special. And then he's coming here, why? Because on that fifth day, if you do a Bible chronology, if you just take the names of the people and you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived so many years and had sons and daughters and all that fun stuff that maybe you don't pay attention to when you read through your Bible, if you did pay attention to it and you work your way backwards, You'll find that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, it was 4,000 years before Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is Christ shows up after four days. He appears on the fifth day. Why? Because in Christ, in Jesus Christ, is life, right? I mean, the Bible's very clear about these things. He says it over and over again. I don't need to remind you. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He says in 1 John chapter number 1 and verses 1 and 2, where it begins, by the way, saying again, in the beginning, it talks about how Jesus is the word of life. 
and it says that the life was manifested. That's Jesus Christ. He is life. And so we can look at this scenario all the way from Adam and see 7,000 complete years. But we can look at it from Christ going forward also, and that'll be the next point in our outline in just a second. But, but I want you to understand, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says very clearly, in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all should be made alive. You see? So that's going to be critically important as we go forward into our next point in our outline, and that will be God's declaration starting from Jesus Christ. So I want to point this out. Why Adam and why Christ? Well, the Bible makes that differentiation. The Bible connects the two. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that which... That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man, Adam in other words, is of the earth, earthy. The second man, who's that? He's the Lord from heaven. You don't have to guess. So Jesus Christ is referred to as the second Adam. Why? Because the word Adam literally just means man. And there basically are only two men that represent what we would call a federal head, And that's why I did 1 Corinthians 15 earlier. I said, in Adam, if you are in Adam, you're dying. But if you are in Christ, you'll live forevermore. And so everybody on this planet is born in Adam. But if you get born again, you are now in Christ. And that's a very important distinction. That's something that you need to understand. So now the Bible does give us some specific clues looking at it just from the perspective of the time of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do now is just just look more closely at the fifth day and the sixth day and the seventh day. In other words, from the time remaining from when Jesus Christ shows up. So I'm going to go ahead and draw something else for you now and draw you another timeline. Can you hear that squeak? I don't know if you can catch that or not. That was beautiful. All right, so we're going to draw a timeline. And, and uh, we're going to look at it this way. So we're going to say, let's just say the year zero when Christ was born. And let's just say about the year 33, right? And this would be when he's crucified. Is the calendar exactly right? I mean, we don't know exactly, but, you know, let's work that at least. And then we're going to come forward over here sometime. And at, at some point... In the near future, right, we've got the event that the church is supposed to be looking for. This would be the rapture of the church. Then there's going to be another event, which is literally the second coming. Let's just say second coming of Jesus Christ, right? And uh, in between the two is what we refer to as the tribulation. Hopefully you all can see that pretty well. So from the time of Christ's first coming, right, you could call this the first, the first coming, right? Here, there's 2,000 years. Or two days. Right? And then at the end over here, there's 1,000 years. Or the day of the Lord, right? 
Now, what I want you to understand is we're going to look at it from this perspective, is that counting from Christ, right? And if I do it this way, I want to give you the idea that what, what this is right here now is basically just, it's this, it's this material right here. So this section right in here kind of gives you this part expanded now. That's what, that's what I'm doing, okay? So you've got two days and then one day. And this break right here is going to be the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what we're working. So if this is two days, we could also say that this day here is the third day. Right? That's what I want you to see. Okay, so with that in mind, we understand. We just had Easter last week, right? We understand that Jesus Christ rose from the grave again on the third day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 4. He rose again the third day. Praise the Lord. There's always going to be something special about that third day. And you can use that as a key in Bible study when you go through the Scriptures. So coming through that, we're going to see that in a couple of different places. For example, in Jesus' earthly ministry, his very first public miracle that he ever did, you know what that is? That was when he turned the water to wine. And he turned the water to wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, right? And we see that in John chapter 2. So if you look with me in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Notice, that, notice how God gives us the clues. It doesn't, it's not just random. It says, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Oh, man. Listen, y'all. Amen. Come on. All right, you got to get, get on this with me. I want you guys to be working it. Okay. On the third day, there was a marriage, a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus was called, right, and his disciples. You know that we're called the bride of Christ. You know that according to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, we are, the, we are his espoused bride. We're engaged to him, but the wedding hasn't happened yet. The wedding is going to happen on the third day. That's when it's going to happen. Listen, this is not just a historically accurate account of a wedding 2,000 years ago. It's that for sure, but it's more than just that. He's prophetically giving you clues, and he's showing you how to count the days. When you break seven into four and three, you look at the three, and you realize that third day is a special day. And on that third day, he's telling you there's going to be a wedding. Jesus and his bride are getting married. That's that third day. There's something to that day. you got to get that right. Okay, that's not enough. We're going to keep looking. Now we'll just have another example similarly considering Israel from the Old Testament. And I know they would have been a part mostly of the first four days on the front end. But nevertheless, Israel has come back. Israel still has a role going forward. And so God tells Israel back in the book of Hosea, chapter number 6, the first two verses, it says this. Notice the words. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us again. And in the third day, he will raise us up 
and we shall live in his sight. Amen? Listen, Israel will be revived again after two days. Why? Because she ceased to exist shortly after the first coming of Jesus Christ, right? 2,000 years, 1,900 literally, Israel wasn't even existing as a nation. But God said, I'm bringing her back. And that's why all of the replacement theology people that think the church replaces Israel and Israel's done and current Israel has nothing to do with Israel of prophecy are wrong. They're dramatically wrong. That third day, after two days, he will revive us, Israel. And in the third day, in the third day, we will live in his sight. Why? Because he will be here physically, ruling and reigning from David's throne in Jerusalem. That's why. This is super important for you to get. So, we're trying to work a chronology. We're trying to figure out exactly what that means. They're coming back after 2,000 years. Is that exactly 2,000 years? Is it about 2,000 years? I mean, when exactly do you measure it from? Where do you measure it to? There's a lot of people that speculate a lot of those things. Well, when were they severed from the Lord? Well, they were severed from the Lord when they officially rejected him, right? Okay, so... I mean, we're just guessing, we're supposing, what if, right? So could we say that the second coming could potentially be 2033, this date here? Is that, is that possible? Um, there are those who have done chronologies and, and think that Jesus was not actually born in the year well, there wouldn't actually be a zero. There'd be one before and then the year number one, but whatever. That he was born in year one. Was he born when he was actually born? Or is the calendar off a few years? There are many who actually think the calendar is four years off, that he was actually born in what would have been considered 4 B.C. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it were true, well, that would make the second coming 2029. Is that, is that what he means? I mean, two days, and then Israel's coming back. Is, is that, is that kind of what he's trying to refer to? Is that what we're trying to learn from this thing? And by the way, if that's the end, if the second coming, <coughs> excuse me, if that's the drop-dead date, so to speak, maybe that wasn't the best choice of words, it could be sooner, but it probably won't be longer. This is what I want you to consider. Okay, with that in mind then, I now want to transition to the third point of my outline, and we're going to zero in even closer and see what it means to us. And the third point I'm just titling, The Times and the Seasons. The Times and the Seasons. And so, again, we know, right, that we can't exactly know the day and the hour. Everybody seems to know that verse in Matthew 24. But we can know the times and the seasons. And that is very important. You need to understand that while we may not be able to nail a certain day and a date and a time of the day, um, we can know the times and the seasons. What exactly does that mean? Well, let's look at the scripture. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now, Acts chapter 1, 
is after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He spent 40 days with his disciples on the earth before he ascended back into heaven. And Acts chapter 1 is one of the chapters that describes for us that moment where Christ is about to ascend and does ascend up into heaven. Just before his ascension, at the end of his time, now this is post-resurrection, okay? He's talking to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, when they, were, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time, the question is about timing, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're talking about the time when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign over the, the nations of this earth and Israel will be the head of all those nations. Are, is that happening now? And Jesus answered to them in verse 7, He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He's basically saying, don't worry about that right now. And those of you that are familiar with the Scriptures know that the next verse would be verse 8, right? And it says, But, you know, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. So the idea is, is that, look, don't worry about that right now. It's not for you to know about the establishing of the kingdom right now because right now, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of a question. There's actually a lot of interesting Bible study as to why he even said that. We're not covering that today. I'm sorry, there's only so much we can cover today. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he's saying for you right here, immediately right here, yeah, and uh, you don't need to worry about that. Just be busy telling people about me. Go be witnesses unto me. That's what you got to do. Okay? Okay, great. Now, fast forward about 30 years, and we have the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, something has changed between the disciples' question and some couple of decades later when Paul writes to the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Paul's like, I don't even need to tell you about the times and the seasons. You already have complete understanding of the times and the seasons. So what changed? What happened? We're going to spend some time now with the remainder of our time together in Matthew chapter 24 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 comparing these places. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 3 because that sets the context for the things that we're going to see going forward. And the context is set Matthew 24. Again, this is prior to his crucifixion. Nevertheless, this is Jesus sitting with the disciples and uh, the Mount of Olives. It says, And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, verse 3, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, to be fair, they asked this question prior to the crucifixion. When they asked it in the book of Acts, it was the second time. They actually asked it again. They were like, oh, okay, not then, but now. Is it now? I mean, they're trying to figure it out. So the question, notice in verse 3, when shall these things be? You see, they were interested in the, the timing of Jesus Christ establishing his kingdom in the world. 
So let's continue reading in Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. <laughs> Listen. That's just good advice. Listen. <laughs> We're having fun with this. That's the best way you can do it in an empty room. I mean, literally. Come on. Thank you. All right. Take heed that no man deceive you. You know why? Because there's going to be people trying to deceive you, even today. Let's continue reading. Verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, before we get into this too far, and, and, and I know a lot of people take a lot of time and they try and track the number and the frequency of famines and pestilences and earthquakes and multiplied wars around the earth. And I'm, I'm not saying that's not valid. That's, that's important. But there have been all of those things at all times in the history of man because man is sinful and Man does things and, well, God passes judgments in different ways in different times. And I actually do think there has been a huge upturn in those things recently. But, but that's not the issue today. The thing I want you to see today is this. The very last part, verse number 8. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, that word sorrows is interesting because it's actually translated differently in other places in the scriptures. Literally what he's trying to communicate might be easier understood if we see the exact same word translated differently in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 3. We saw verses 1 and 2 where he says, I don't need to tell you about the times and the seasons. You know already about the times and the seasons. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, the next verse says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail. That's the word, sorrows, travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. That word sorrows literally means birth pains. It's the travail of a woman entering into labor. And so that's the picture God is saying. The times and the seasons, it's, he likens it unto a woman who's in labor. And, you know, I, you ladies that have had babies, you, you know, let, let's play a little game. I can't see you, but, um, you know, raise your hand if you've had a baby. Okay. Raise your hand if your doctor gave you a due date. Okay, keep it up. Um, keep your hand raised if your baby was born exactly on the day that the doctor said your baby was going to be born. Well, most of you put your hand down. Uh, a few of you maybe. Okay. Uh, ha giving natural birth. Okay, so the point is this. You didn't know when the doctor gave you your due date. You didn't know exactly the day and the hour that the baby was going to come, right? But you entered into that ninth month, ladies. You know what you knew? You knew it wasn't going six more months. You knew that. I mean, you knew the times and the seasons were coming, right? I mean, when, when your belly is moving and the baby's moving and, you know, all that stuff, I mean, it, by the way, it's not unlike an earthquake, as though the very earth is going through the travail of labor and is moving around. Something to think about. That's the picture God's trying to paint. All I'm trying to tell you is, in the year 2020, 
Let's go back over here. We don't know exactly where this is. We're going to work on this date and then try and come back to this date. But if we're at 2020, listen, y'all, we're close. I mean, we're close. And I'm going to prove it to you here in just a second. So this is really important. Remember what we saw in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 3. If you don't watch, you won't know. So I say let's start watching. That's what it says in Matthew 24 and verse 42. It says, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll just keep reading, verse number 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day, the day of the Lord, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The Lord commands us, y'all, to be watching. And we can spend some time, and I'm planning to spend some time in a couple of weeks, talking some about the current events that we're going through. Okay, But the most important thing for you to get is what we're getting today. It's what the Bible has to say because that's sure, right? We can guess about current events, but this thing is something. This is sure. So as the time is approaching, as we're getting close to that point of the rapture, what other signs can we see? What are some other things that the the Lord reveals to us as we get closer? Now we're going to go back to Matthew 24. Remember the context The disciples want to know, when shall these things be? What are the signs of thy coming and the establishing of your kingdom? So now we go to Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse number 32. And this is a very important prophetic passage of Scripture where it says in verse 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Just in case you were wondering whether or not, you know, what I'm saying to you is accurate, let me just remind you my word is absolute, pure, and perfect, and everything's going to pass away but my word is going to stand forever what I'm telling you is sure so he says learn the parable of a fig tree and the parable is simply that verse there's a tree the branch is tender and it starts to put forth leaves when that happens hey summer's coming now likewise let me tell you what the parable means here's what it means when you see these things Famines, pestilences, earthquakes, etc., etc., the beginnings of sorrows, the wars, the rumors of wars, nations rising against nation. When you see these things, know that it is near, the coming of my kingdom. It's near, it's even at the doors. And he says, Verily I say unto you, and this is going to be really important, verse 34, this generation, the generation that sees the fig tree put forth leaves, this generation shall not pass. Until all these things be fulfilled. If you really want to know what all these things are, go back and read all of Matthew 24. It is the context of the tribulation time leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this fig tree thing and whatever this timing is of that generation, it's going to say all these things are fulfilled here. Not here. 
They're fulfilled here at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation. That's when they're fulfilled. That's when they're done, right? So, what you need to understand, if you don't already understand, is throughout the scriptures, the fig tree represents something for us. And what it represents is Israel as a nation, the national identity, that's important, the national identity of Israel. It's not the spiritual identity of Israel. Actually, the scriptures use the olive tree as the designation for the spiritual identity of Israel. You can go to Romans chapter 11 and see that for yourself. But the fig tree is Israel as a geopolitical nation. And so I'll give you another parable Jesus uses for the same thing. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Now that certain man would be the Lord. The fig tree would be national Israel. We'll see as we go through this. He sought fruit thereon and he found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years. Isn't that interesting? How long was the Lord's earthly ministry? These three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, after that, thou shalt cut it down. So three years into Jesus' earthly ministry, Israel's not responding at all, and they're like, yeah, just forget it, knock them down. And they're like, give it another year. Well, Jesus had six more months. Well, you say, Ed, it was only six more months. Yeah, okay, well, ultimately, you Bible students know that as that rolls into the book of Acts, up until the final rejection of the Lord through the preaching of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was probably in the neighborhood of about six more months, giving it yet another year. And if they reject that, which means they rejected him in Acts chapter 7, well, then it says, after that, cut it down. Well, that's very interesting because after that, now that would have still been 33 A.D. Well, Israel didn't produce spiritual fruit when Jesus was on the earth. They didn't respond when Stephen told them about it in Acts chapter 7. And after that, in 70 A.D., Titus comes in with the Roman army and destroys Jerusalem and tears it all down to the ground. And Israel ceases to be a nation for almost 1,900 years. Almost 1,900 years. Now, I want to take this and I want to expand this for you a little bit. I'm going to come over here where it's a little easier to see. And I'm going to draw another timeline. We're going to get a little closer look this time. And I'll just put arrows on the end because we're just looking at a close-up section of it. And let's just say that Here's the second coming. This is the millennium. This is the tribulation. This is the rapture of the church. Okay? A very significant event happened in history. 1948. Israel became a nation again. After 1,900 years of not being a nation. I mean, 
sociologists, anthropologists, historians, they're all amazed. Never in the history of man has, an, has a nation been wiped off the face of the earth and kept their identity scattered throughout the nations and come back together to be a nation again. They were given their national identity. They were officially recognized as a nation, literally, on May 14th. 1948, the fig tree had a tender branch and began to put forth leaves. Life began to flow in the fig tree. What happens every spring in the life of any tree? A tree, you could say, goes dead through the winter, and in the spring, life begins to emerge again in that tree. As that begins to put forth leaves, like we're seeing at this point in time right now in, in our seasons. May 14th, 1948. The Bible tells us that this generation, this generation, shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. So we thought, oh, well, could it be 2033? Could it be 2029? Well, the question then becomes, how long is the generation? And a lot of people want to put forth guesses how long a generation is and some people have said 40 years and 70 years and 100 years, 120 years and all those sort of things, but it's, it's not up to us to decide. We have to do the only thing we're allowed to do, and that's compare Scripture with Scripture because anything else is private interpretation. We're going to compare the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that a generation is going to be between 70 and 80 years. Look at Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 10. In Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 10, the day of our years are three score and ten. If by reason of strength it be four score years, yes, there's strength and labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off. Oh, and we fly away. <laughs> three score and ten. Score is 20, three is 60, and 10, 70. If by reason of strength, four score. So by the time David writes Psalm 90, yeah, I know they lived hundreds of years before the flood. Yeah, I know they lived over 100 years immediately after the flood. But by the time David shows up, right, a thousand years before Christ, you have man living about 70 or 80 years. Oh, lo and behold, today men live about 70 or 80 years on the average. That's our life expectancy. Okay, let's plug this in. Let's watch. Let's be wise. Let's see what God's trying to say. Because what we're doing here now, this drawing, right? I mean, now we're taking this section, right? This is what we're doing here, right? And now we're just exploding it. Let's go to the far end. Let's go to the maximum stop point. 1948, 80 years, 2028. I mean, if God said what he meant and he meant what he said, Right? Okay, well, now, now it's starting to get interesting, isn't it? I mean, how exactly is that all going to come together? What exactly does that all mean? If that's 80 years, 
Well, uh, how long is the tribulation? Well, actually, we're going to spend time next week talking in more detail about exactly how much time the tribulation will last. And, uh, but historically, typically, again, this is not the study for today, typically, we've always been taught that it's seven years. Isn't that right? Well, you would back this up then, and this would be 2021, wouldn't it? Okay, well, it's very interesting, because when you start numbering the years going forward, today in 2020, and if you subtract 1948, we're sitting at 72 years since this. In fact, May 14th, 2020, May 14th, I think is like 25 days from now, something like that. We will, we will be on the 72nd birthday of Israel being in a nation. But you say, wait a minute, that Jewish calendar is different. The Jews used a lunar calendar, which was 30-day months throughout, which meant a year was only 360 days, not 365 days, right? A solar calendar. And so if you're going to use a Jewish calendar and count the time, because that's the way the time would be counted, you're going to have to add five days for every year of the 72 years. Hang with me, math students. 72 times 5 is 360. 360 makes a whole nother year. That makes 2020... Not 72. It makes 2020 73. You following me? Hang on. Amen. Amen. Well, if May 14th, 2020, the thing is still recording. You probably can't hear it. If, if May 14th, 2020 is 73 years since the fig tree put forth her leaves. And if the tribulation, let's do it this way. I'll put a big question mark here. Because there is a question to be made and we're going to address it next week. Right? We'll tease her for next week. If the tribulation is equivalent to Daniel's 70th week. If you don't know what that means, just tune in next week. We'll talk about it. Prophecy out of Daniel. The 70th week. The week of years, seven years. If the tribulation is equivalent to Daniel's 70th week, well, then this is actually 2027, and this is actually 2020. Let me ask you something. You got any long-range plans? Let me ask you something. You worried about your retirement? Listen, y'all, there's something to this thing. Oh, by the way, in case you're just really wanting to get into the math about years, I get it, there's leap years. We forgot about those. So if you take the leap year thing and you say every four years you have to add a day, over 72 years, we're going to divide that by four, and we're going to get 18 days that need to be added, as if it were going to be exactly... May 14th, 19, 
48 to May 14, 2020. We'll add 14 days to May 14th, and we're going to come up with June 1st, 2020. You know, if there's a feast of Israel that is going to be associated with the major events of history, and I tend to think that the feasts of Israel are prophetically associated with major events, it's highly likely that the feast associated with the rapture of the church is either going to be the Passover or it's going to be Pentecost. Well, we just had the Passover a week or so ago. Pentecost is 50 days, right? It's seven weeks. That 50th day after seven weeks, that Sabbath, is Pentecost. This year, 2020, Pentecost is scheduled for May 29th. May 29th. That's pretty close to June 1st, isn't it? Now, listen. Do me a favor. Please listen. Don't leave here saying I said something I didn't say. Because I'm not telling you that the rapture is going to be on June 1st of this year. I promise you I'm not telling you that. I actually kind of think it's not going to happen. Why then did you spend all this time doing this? Holy cow. You got me all worked up. Um, Because I want you to understand that we're close. I want you to understand that it could be even now. We'll spend some time next week talking about why I believe the rapture must be in the spring and why the actual second coming must be in the fall. We'll look at that next time as well. But listen, see what I have done for you today. Have I given you my opinions? I've just showed you what God has to say in his word, amen? We're simply obeying the scriptural command to watch. John 5.39 says, search the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. And can I tell you, friends, the second coming of Jesus Christ is no joke. It's no joke. It's the theme of the entire Bible. It's the most important day on God's calendar. That wasn't the crucifixion. God's favorite day is not the day his son had to take sin on him. God's favorite day is when he is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? That's the day. That's the day God's waiting for. That's the theme of the whole Bible. But just because it hasn't come yet, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. We looked at it before, 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, where it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay, that's fine, but can I just encourage you to remember a few verses down, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, friend, if you're listening to this, you you may think that my math is weird. You may think I, I twisted some things. I hope not. But let me ask you a question. Are you sure that you're saved? Because if you're not sure that you're saved and you always think there's a tomorrow because there's always been a tomorrow, 
there will be a day where there is no tomorrow. And that day, well, it may be very, very soon. Listen, you could say you don't believe it. That's fine. You have free will. But are you willing to risk eternity on it? I hope not. Because the next verse, verse 10, 2 Peter says, But the day of the Lord, oh, it will come. It will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be, Christian, in all holy conversation of godliness and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You worried about your 401k, are you? Remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Maybe now more than ever, huh? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what we need to be doing? We need to obey Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Let me tell you something. If you never saw evil days before, you've been seeing them lately, if you're paying attention. I say we just agree with the Apostle Paul as he was facing the end of his earthly life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 5. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, Christian. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Okay, for Paul, it was his physical death, but for us, it could be the rapture, and it could be very soon. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I hope the reminder that the rapture could indeed be this year. It could be next year. It could be the year after that, but let me tell you what it's not. It's not 100 years from now. It's not 100 years from now. This generation shall not pass. I'm going to take you to the very last two verses of all the Bible where it says this, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, thank you for the things that you have told us. I know there's a lot of things that we don't always understand, and I know the day and the hour thing is sometimes hard, and we spend some time looking at these things now, and I, I just pray, Lord, that those that are listening would take it to heart. If people are listening who are not sure that they have eternal life in you, that right now, wherever they're at, they would just bow their head, repent of their sins, turn from that, agree with you, and ask you to come into their heart and their life, forgive their sins, and give them the gift of eternal life. This is not a joke. This is not something to take lightly. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for us, we who are Christians, that we would take seriously our life and our manner of conversation and godliness and that we would do the work of an evangelist and we would be 
just ready and able at every moment to go and to share this word, this gospel, with the people that we know, that we love, that are not saved, that need to know this could be our last chance to do it. What if it is? We'll all stand before you in judgment, but I want to stand before you knowing I tried to the very end to do all I could do. So I pray you'd take this word, I pray you'd change our hearts for your honor and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.